This podcast is produced by Castle Point Systems, the compliance, security and discovery solution for all your information in any of your systems. Castle Point asks, what could you do and what could you achieve if you knew what every record in your environment was about, what rules applied to it and whether they were being met? Over the series, I talk with a range of industry, academic and government commentators from Australia and overseas about ways to mitigate risks to data and compliance and to maximise the opportunities that are arising. I interview experts in the records, strategy, discovery, security and audit fields who share their experience and insights in ways we can all apply right now and into the future of our new normal. Hi, Brett Lovegrove, welcome to our series. Excuse me while I just adjust myself there. So thank you so much for joining us in this series of interviews. Before we start, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in Australia. The Ngunnawal people is where I am today. uh, And I'd like to acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. So we'll jump right in. Um, Brett, we have a very... um, interesting career of yours that I'd like to get a bit of background on. So obviously you retired as the head of counterterrorism for the City of London Police in in 2008 and now you're the chief executive of the City Security and Resilience Networks uh, in UK and Australia, chairman of Paritum, which does counterterrorism engineering, uh, chairman of the Defence and Security Committee of the London Chamber of Commerce, managing director of Valentis Bridge and you're on the London Board of, of Crime Stoppers. So um, can you tell us a little bit about your career and, and how you've sort of ended up here where you are now? Uh, well, I had 30 years in the in the, in the the police service in London, and uh, so I won't go back too far, but uh, uh, I, I, I was and still am in the intelligence community. I was a detective in the Metropolitan Police. Um, I, I eventually, as you said, uh, retired as head of counterterrorism in the City of London Police and had some national responsibilities there, which I suppose, and I commanded some, you know, some interesting things uh, uh, that uh, maybe we'll cover a bit later on. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my interest in the intelligence information world, which is what good policing is, is founded on, and we can unravel that a little bit later, uh, it prevents crime. In fact, any police officer that joins, wherever you are in the world, uh, is about preventing crime. It's one of those main objectives, uh, second to saving life. Um, we, uh, from a detective and from an intelligence point of view, were able to man- manipulate the information and intelligence in order to trap the bad people, and uh, the, the regulation and laws allows us to do that. Uh, and then, you know, some of the best information and intelligence I've found comes from the community and businesses. So a lot of what I'm going to be saying uh, this morning, uh, you can relay into the business community. It's not about the intelligence community. It's not only about government. It's about businesses uh, realising that they too uh, need to manage and develop information in order to uh, better make to make themselves more resilient on a twenty-four hour, seven-day week, three sixty-five day basis. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good point. Is that we're all um, we're all. Um, in a, a heightened state of security all the time, you know, from the smallest organisations to the largest governments, we're now, I think, realising how important security is around our data. And we've had to learn some pretty quick lessons about that, I think. Obviously, 
in this pandemic, you know, it's it's referred to as a global crisis, and I, I suppose it is, but you've had some actual on-the-ground experience with, with crises. Um, can you tell us about some of those um, from your career and how important information was in responding to those crises? Uh, yes, uh, um, I suppose, you know, police officers, uh, any police officer in the world will tell you about how they've managed crises. Uh, probably a bit later on in my career, I commanded uh, firearms uh, operations. Um, I was one of the chief officers in the the the, the uh, paedophile unit at Scotland Yard, SCD5. Hello to my colleagues who might be out there. Uh, and um, it, and also I commanded the initial response to the London bombings in 2005 and a couple of interesting things after that. But what I do now, I take all that experience and the information that I gather from the business community uh, and, and, and hold briefings and also webinars uh, around the world uh, that will uh, inform businesses on a day-to-day basis about crisis, about pandemics. And you wouldn't be surprised to know that last month and this month, it's all been about getting back to business. It's how do we get back to business? How do we use a technology? What's the new working environment going to look like? How do we adjust? Most importantly, looking after the people, how are they going to be supported psychologically? Um, and, and the psychological impacts of, of going back into workplace, they may not trust anymore, or they may just simply like working from home. So the City Security and Resilience Networks, we, we have uh, big corporates that come to us for briefings uh, on a monthly basis, and we, we give them briefings for the moment. So that's the best thing I can do, take that intelligence information I gain and get it out where I can to the business community. Great. So for you, it's, it's about sharing what you know, I guess. I guess we're stronger together. And the more we know, I guess knowledge is power. So um, that's a, a key thing for you, I think, is what's coming through. Now, I set up a poll, which um, I'd encourage everyone to just click on the polls button and, and respond to that at the moment. I've, I've asked everyone, you know, what is What's the most important element of data management for you that in a crisis you wouldn't trade off? You know, could you trade off accuracy um, if you had data faster and more of it? Or could you trade off how quickly you got data if it was more accurate? So I just encourage everyone to, to answer their responses to that poll. I see the responses coming in now. Um, it looks like most people aren't really interested in the amount of data. They're more interested in accuracy and timeliness. So what, what do you find in your experience, Brett, is something that you can't trade off? Is it accurate data? Is it quick data? Or is it uh, a broad set of data that's more important? Um, well, I'm bound to say all, uh, all of those things. And the way I use the term in trade-off, I don't quite trade it off in that way. Uh, because I've managed all of those major things in a, in a kind of, and intelligent systems, um, I, I would say, and I'm going to answer your question in a kind of circuitous way, mm -hmm. um, if the crisis leader is to be effective, collated information prior to an event is important. So you must have those systems up and running uh, to gather and collate uh, information. And then the ability to, to collate the information uh, and then have it analysed because businesses and police services and security services, we are faced with uh, a mountain of information, more than the human being can, can handle. Uh, and so 
uh, talking about trade-offs, you won't know what you can trade off unless you have a system to evaluate what information is coming in, um, how good it is, how accurate it is. I totally agree with the people that have responded uh, to your poll. Uh, but in reality, you won't know how accurate you should be with that or consider that information or how to prioritise it or how to ignore it or put it on the bank burner until you have a system uh, of uh, analysis a fast time, I mean, sometimes you only have a really, really short time to analyze it, which makes it that more important to have a system in place. And you should be having that relevant information to prepare responses, um, responding to a crisis, and, and that could be uh, preparing to respond to the crisis, that could be training, uh, and that could be testing. And I, I, I absolutely support both of those things. Managing the crisis is very important, uh, and also re recovering and sustaining performance and thriving thereafter and a lot of people I hear I'm hearing on the television I've got I've got the news and the you know just the screen over there so if I go over there you know uh, I'm just looking at the latest crisis but you hear the politicians talking about yes we must identify the lessons my blood pressure goes up a little bit because there's four bits to this one they say they must uh, learn from the lessons well I would say you've got to be able to identify the lessons or the information that's coming in in the first place. You need to learn the uh, lessons and you need to know about that information uh, at the same time. You need to uh, be able to operationalize those lessons that you have now learned. You need to operationalize the information that you have gained. And then you must be able to sustain that. You must be able to sustain the effort and, and the forward um, the battle rhythm that you've uh, gained by having those systems in place. And I don't mean to, it doesn't, it's not expensive. You could, it could be free, actually, and the smaller companies maybe managing information is not that difficult. But you must have something. Without that situational awareness um, that you must uh, develop, uh, you can't uh, effectively manage a crisis or indeed uh, come out of that. Um, and, you know, there's always an assumption that the government will manage the crisis. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, the real activity belongs with us. You know, the people who are in the business, the people who are part of a company that must step forward to make sure uh, that they are uh, prepared uh, themselves and prepare their people. Yeah. And I think so trading off, to answer your trading off question, it's very difficult to know what to trade off unless uh, you have a sense of what you've got. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's what I'm I'm picking up from you. You know, you've mentioned a couple of key themes there. You've mentioned people a couple of times and how important it is to have people as part of this process. But you've also talked about the, the scope of data maybe being overwhelming um, if there's too much data and not enough analysis. So obviously we have a tsunami of data hitting us all the time. There's a lot that you can use. And from the poll, I can see that most people aren't really so worried about the scope. They're not thinking, I need more data, more data, more data to make better decisions. Sure. They're thinking, I need accurate data and I need it quickly. So is that why, you know, the importance of, of, of data analysis, is that why as well as being on all these boards related to crime and terrorism, you're also a member of the all-party parliamentary group on artificial intelligence? I mean, how does AI intersect with crime fighting? Oh, well, 
people, when they think of uh, artificial intelligence, they immediately think of facial recognition. Uh, and although that's true and it causes its own uh, debates, um, uh, I, I think, uh, and uh, well, I'll come back to that if I may, uh, but applying AI in order to help... Uh, oh, sorry, I keep having things flashing up on the screen. I've got to get rid of them. Um, one of the things that the law enforcement agency has to have a problem is, of course, sifting through that information, creating it into intelligence and then activating as a priority. Uh, but the large scale investigations use artificial intelligence uh, to do speech patterns and, and whether audio recording or text. And that becomes really, really useful uh, because the, the machine learning that is applied to those algorithms are very good. However, of course, there's a debate, and, and this is one of the reasons I'm on the all-party parliamentary group in the United Kingdom. There are issues uh, that people are aware of within the AI community where the profiling that law enforcement agencies do need to use at different levels could be biased, could be discriminatory, because the algorithms are built by humans, so there may be in, in inherent bias built into the algorithms. And it's the same with uh, facial recognition. There's a, uh, you know, getting that right, getting the algorithm right is, is very, very difficult, but uh, not impossible. And I think as time goes by, people will be more reassured by it and more trusting of it. It's out there now, but it's up to the authorities uh, to uh, support it and, and to make sure that uh, they are doing it for the right reasons and it's relevant and it's the information is being um, uh, taken care of in line with, with uh, regulation. And also predictive policing. I remember when I was a very young police officer, we used to do predictive policing, but it was all about, um, you know, uh, in the 1980s, pins in mats. Now predictive policing is algorithms um, uh, we've had a uh, and therefore if you have an algorithm be built by a human it has discrimination small and and could be quite large built into it so uh, we had a in the united kingdom a kent constabulary which was a quite a big constabulary to the south east of the united kingdom uh, did a, a, a program of predictive policing and i think they abandoned it after a while because it was there were some inherent problems with it. So artificial intelligence now and in the future is really, really important. But we have to be aware of the uh, vulnerabilities that it brings in. But what it will do in policing terms and in security terms and in uh, societal terms is uh, lay the foundations for smarter, safer cities in the future. We have smarter, safer cities in the world now doing very well using the, the Internet of Things and bringing those elements together for the betterment of the community, for reduction in crimes and for responding more accurately uh, to crisis when they happen. So it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. It could be seen as a good friend, but a bad enemy. Uh, but it's something that we're working on. Okay, which is um, which is interesting to hear you say because obviously we're in this um, this period of disruption now, um, and we need to make sure that we're responding to emerging threats. Do you think that we're able to use this data now with those systems or without um, in the way that we could before the pandemic? Are there disruptions in the flow of that data, and is it affecting the overall? Um, threat environment, I suppose, for a crime and terrorism perspective? Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, 
the crime uh, sort of a scenario now has changed. Uh, of course, you know, police services around the country and around the world are reporting much lower burglaries and so on. You know, those, those sort of because we're all at home and uh, isolated uh, uh, until the next uh, couple of weeks or so. However, new crimes are coming in. The disruption to society includes more cyber crime because uh, just like we are on the computers at the moment, everybody watching, uh, the criminals know that and they're inviting us to click on links that we shouldn't click on uh, and uh, therefore, you know, crimes are committed in the first instance where we've been clumsy or we've been a bit complacent. And by the way, just don't click on anything until you know exactly who it's come from. Um, and of course, uh, sadly, domestic violence, incidents of domestic violence are up. And that's something that uh, our government and, um, and I know your government's taking very, very seriously um, uh, uh, as, as, a, as a not a phenomenon, but an, an increase in that crime. Um, and of course, um, there's an increase uh, in, in fake goods and counterfeit money uh, where uh, artificial intelligence uh, could be applied to actually uh, detect those things. So, uh, yeah, it's, there, is a, there are disruptions, um, but we must be aware of how those disruptions are taking place. So what strategies are you are you using to deal with those impacts? You know, as we have suddenly a shift in in the type of crime in terms of ratio, I guess it's it's resourcing those investigations more than maybe they needed before and it's accessing that data in ways that um, wasn't done before. So do you have any sort of practical strategies that we can apply just more generally in our business community to say, well, how do we deal with a change like this that changes our whole business? What strategies can we use to deal with that disruption in our own data flow? Well, um, I left the police service a little while ago, but I, I continue to work in, in the information gathering and intelligence uh, uh, sector. Uh, and the best thing I can do now, and the best thing, and this is what you're doing now, Rachel, is uh, uh, providing platforms upon which people who are the best of the best can, can exchange information and provide facilities to exchange the best of the best information out there. Uh, whilst the law enforcement agencies and the government departments are doing their best, we take their um, advice and we take uh, their uh, learning, uh, hopefully they have learned it, and we turn it into uh, niche briefings for some of the biggest companies in the world. So we do, we've been doing that for 12 years and we've been doing that uh, uh, every month. Uh, City Security and Resilience Next works. We have an office in Adelaide. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it is a worldwide thing. But the strategy for me is to get the information from government, analyze it, what is, what is going to impact on businesses the most, and deliver it. And, but what I could say for people within the, the businesses themselves who are watching us, uh, share information. Uh, I, I think a lot of people talk about, oh, well, information is power. We can't share this because it's corporate owned or whatever. I, I remember being uh, doing analysis in my part of the intelligence community and, 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 and finding out that most of the information I had could indeed be shared without breaking any rules. So in this, 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 this era of a crisis we're living in and crisis and other crises, man-made and, and natural disasters yet to come, one of the most important things we can do 
is share our experience and expertise with each other. Yeah, crimes, you know, crimes that are being committed on companies. Uh, make sure, and you, could, you don't have to reveal who you are, but make sure other people are aware of those uh, crisis, threats, risks, uh, and share more. Don't keep it to yourself. And heaven knows we have the technology to uh, ensure that uh, we can get that information out there fast so people don't make the same mistakes or they make preparations uh, that perhaps uh, need to be made fast uh, and certainly in the medium and the long term. So I would say my strategy is and will be in the future, share, 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 because uh, if you don't, you know, people would keep tripping up and making mistakes you could have asked them to avoid. Yeah, that's right. And we do see that a lot. There's, um, you know, from, from the sort of smaller cyber crimes on individuals, you know, frauds and things, there seems to be a sense of shame that stops people speaking out about that or even reporting it at all. And that goes all the way up to government. You know, we had to introduce a notifiable data breaches scheme to oh. make force organisations to, you know, to own up basically, if they had a breach and make it known. So I think there's still quite a bit of stigma around being the victim or potential victim of something. And until we can overcome that, you're right, we're, we're not going to learn any lessons. Um, on, on learning lessons... Sorry, if I may, Rachel, just on, on that very good point you made, I've got to do this. I'm on the board of Crime Stoppers in the United Kingdom. Uh, you have a very active and very vibrant uh, Crime Stoppers Australia um, I would encourage people that if you if you if you want to inform somebody totally anonymously and they are not connected with the police services of their region, crime stoppers every single time. Ring the local number. You've got a different number to me, but ring crime stoppers. Totally anonymous. No comeback. Needs to be done. Sorry, I interrupted. No, that's great. And that's really good to know because I certainly, you know, never really conceived of Crime Stoppers as something that um, would be responsive to corporate and organisational crimes. You know, we always think of Crime Stoppers as, you know, if you see something, say something type of thing. So it's good to know that the remit is kind of broader and that is a kind of a neutral place that you can engage. Um, so those are some lessons that you can give us now. Do you think as a society we've learned lessons from previous global events? You know, we've had terrorist attacks, we've had recessions, we've had pandemics before. What lessons could we or should we or did we learn from those and are we applying them effectively now, do you think? Um, I, th I think a generic lesson we have or we, we certainly should have learned is that as individuals we can make a difference. You know, I, I, I've been saying for many, many years and uh, some people rolling their eyes, but uh, I've said for many years that we, we call the, 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 the emergency services the first responders. Well, they're not the first responders. When you get a terrorist attack on Westminster Bridge or when you get a terrorist attack in, in Australia, thankfully very few your end. The first responders are the people themselves, the first responders to that attack, and some of them very brave in, in tackling the terrorists, certainly on, on the London Bridge attack that we had. They are the first responders, and they, and they take an element of we are responsible. So in companies, when we go back to work, when we all get back to the office or wherever we're going to work in the future, we have to take personal responsibility for our own actions in re becoming resilient, managing the crisis and recovering from it. 
we cannot, there isn't anybody out there. The governments, our respective governments are very good at managing the national stuff, but they can't get down to the, into the granularity where we are. We are the best people to know what we need to do to become resilient, to manage and recover. And, and that, I would say, is one of the most important lessons that we must have learned from all those past crises. Yeah. So I think you talked about prevention before as, as being, you know, a key part of crime fighting. You know, crime fighting is really crime prevention. If we can stop it from happening, we don't need to respond in the same way. So what do you think organisations of all sizes need to do to prepare I mean, we talked about in our in our previous session with Kate Fueling, we talked about the importance of a business continuity plan and just how rare they are to find one in an organisation. A BCP is a, is a key one, but what else do you think is, is really important as a foundation or a building block for organisations to prevent breaches or further disruption next time? Um, uh, you're right, a BCP, yeah, a business continuity plan, absolutely critical. Review them every single time. Review them when you, you, you have time because you never know when a crisis is going to happen next. But a lot of people, uh, but a, a business continuity plan isn't enough. You've got to have a crisis response plan um, and you've got to have the, the, the culture from the very top, from the C-suite uh, to... Uh, be a company, be an organisation, small, medium and large, uh, in order to prepare yourselves. Making sure everybody, and you're quite right, usually the BCP and the crisis management team response is hidden away. It's about making sure people know what the contents are and also make sure that you test them. I, I in, a, in one of my companies, I do a lot of testing uh, companies uh, of their response and their golden hours, and which is the first uh, hour or two of a crisis, testing them. What are you going to do? Because I know from commanding the initial uh, attacks on the London bombings, um, that you, you make a whole series of decisions in the first one or two hours that sets the, the foundation for whatever is going to happen next. And so in terms of us now here today, uh, knowing what's in the business continuity plan, but that training and testing, I, I really, really can't emphasize that enough. You don't want to be surprised uh, suddenly when a crisis happens and you have no idea what to do next. It's the worst thing, uh, worst feeling on earth. It's uh, sickness and all sorts of things. Won't go into that. No, I, I think I know the feeling. I think we all do. We've all been faced with something that we're not prepared for and have realised suddenly that we're overwhelmed in that situation and often we don't know where to turn for help. So if, if organisations haven't prepared um, and they're not ready, what can they do? How can they reach out and get assistance in your experience? Uh, well, there there are uh, an enormous amount of organisations that are out there that can train crisis leaders, and uh, I, I really would. And they're not that expensive, you know. You so you put the expense of doing some a day or two's training and testing uh, against the cost of not doing it. It, it is totally outweighed. So. There's the there's the the, the business case for it. Um, I do it. Um, you know, if anybody wants to contact me, whether United Kingdom or Australia, I'm quite happy 
uh, to travel. I did um, a keynote tour around Australia a couple of years ago on crisis leadership, crisis management, uh, and visited all the cities. I grew up in Australia, in Western Australia, so I speak the language. I played Australian rules football. So I, um, you know, I come, I can, uh, you know, people and people like me, there is help out there. Uh, and, and don't shy away from that because we all need that kind of training and all that testing and all that help and all that good advice. We need it. And it's, it's, it's bad enough getting to the crisis and, and sitting down after a couple of days and saying, I wish we'd done that training and testing. A lot mm -hmm. of good people out there. I see a, a couple of people on the chat and people I know uh, that are either in the United Kingdom and in Australia, and they're the people that you want to engage, definitely. Okay, great. So you talked earlier about needing to share information to help protect ourselves, help be responsive in a crisis. What kind of information do you think we should turn the screws on? You know, what should we really be protecting maybe better than we are doing now? Uh, well, no business will want to give away the content of, of this, of the the uh, what makes them tick and what makes them make money. So, uh, one of the best things that we can share as an industry um, are the processes that uh, people that uh, uh, need to manage information uh, can can utilise at Castle Point. You you are. Uh, not only incredibly well known in Australia, getting very well known in the United Kingdom as a company and companies like you that can manage, look at information, make very uh, uh, good assessments of what is not being used and what is the rubbish, pushing it away, making everything more manageable. So uh, I would say in, in answer to your question, get that system up and running, get, get people like CastlePoint in to actually take a look at how we, we we do things. It's like being on a computer. If you've got a lot of rubbish on there and a lot of pictures that you never use, the whole thing slows down, just like a company. You get a lot of junk, a lot of rubbish, and you send somebody off to find something. They can't find it, and it could be a critical bit of information. The whole system slows, slows down. So you, you, you get a system in, and I've got one on my Mac that actually on a daily basis cleans everything out. It works perfectly. With that, it's going to close down now. I know it's but anyway, we, the whole system works faster, and that's what we need to think about in our organisations. Very simple things that we can do. Yeah, and I think that sort of brings us back to the poll that we asked before. You know, what's more important? Is it accuracy or is it scale and scope of data? And I don't think anyone really is worried about scale. In fact, the more we have, um, the more problems we seem to have so I think you're right in that in in finding where the risk data is and getting rid of it that really will reduce our our security yeah. profile in situations like this where we're all suddenly working from home and using cloud systems and engaging in ways that we haven't had to do before yeah and I guarantee most companies who haven't done this regime uh, are breaking some federal and some national laws by keeping that information, a lot of it personal stuff, but other things. And, and unless you know what you've got in your, your information and intelligence systems, uh, then you've got, you, 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 you will continue to break the law and somebody's going to come and get you, I bet, sooner or later. They will. That's right. It'll either be the good guys, the regulators, or it'll be the bad guys, you know, yes. who are looking for that data yeah. and avoid it. 
Look, thank you so much, Brett. We've hit our hit our time, so we'll finish and stop the recording. We're going to continue the discussion in the LinkedIn group. So if you've had a question you haven't had a chance to ask, then please pop it into the group. Thank you again, Brett. It's been fantastic. Really looking forward to seeing you next time you're allowed to get on a plane. Come down. <laughs> and you'll be in the group, won't you, if people want to connect with you and continue the discussion? I will. Great. No worries. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you on the next session. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about CastlePoint Systems, please go to our website at www.castlepoint.systems to get in touch. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn, where you can engage with us and all of our experts.